On episode 9 of Out of Play Area, we sit down with one of the co-founders of the Latinx and gaming organization, Mr. Juan Vaca, an El Salvadorian Ecuadorian American currently working as a narrative design lead at Netflix. We'll go through his journey breaking into the industry, how he managed to shift from being a producer to becoming a narrative designer when he was at Telltale Games. We talk about all the games he's worked on, including The Wolf Among Us, The Walking Dead, Tales from the Borderland, and my personal favorite, Telltale Batman. We talk about mentoring, what it's like being represented and coming from Washington, D.C., making the move all the way out to California to follow his dream of becoming a game developer, and much more. Coming to us by the way of NorCal, please welcome former Marine sniper, Juan Vaca. Let's start the show. Bienvenido, bienvenue, welcome to the Out of Play Area podcast, a show by video game devs for game devs, where the guests open up one-on-one about their journey, their experiences, their views, and their ideas. No ads, no bullshit. Join us as we venture far out of the play area with your host, seasoned game designer, John Diaz. How's your day? What's today? Thursday. Thursday has been, it went by fast, to be honest. I didn't get to do all the things I wanted to do, but I guess that's a sign of cool things happening or however you want to look at it, right? Either you get interrupted and you got to do some things you wasn't accounting for, or you're like happily ended up in some meetings talking about some future content thing that I'm like, yo, I didn't account for this, but I definitely want to contribute. Yeah, that's great. How about on your end? A lot of meetings and a lot of projects. So it's just like code switching right between like listening and like processing and then also like jumping into like a review mode or trying to cycle a certain way. So yeah, some good brain exercises. Dope, dope. Sounds like you get to go through all the different cycles or, or types of the brain to turn on and off. Yeah. It's not bad. Do you, do you feel kind of like easily balanced by the end of the day or it's like out of juice? Oh, man. It's, it depends. I mean, for the most part, like I'm usually like out of juice, right? Which is like one of the things that happens is you get like choice fatigue at the end of the day. That's why you're just like, I don't even care what I want to eat or like put something on television. What do you want to watch? I don't know. Like I don't make well, how, how much attention can you pay attention? You know, exactly. Right. Yeah. Me and my fiance, we have a thing where it's just like, well, how much attention are you going to pay? Are you just going to be on your phone or do you just want to veg out or do you want the story to captivate you? What kind of investment? are we trying to get in on it sounds like there's like a usual multiple choice exam beforehand right like or choose your own adventure how deep we want to go how light you want to go is it every time is it like the usual hey what do you want to eat right and it's, yeah it's the same long <laughs> process it's like oh whatever you want and there's algorithms that solve that right like doordash knows and it's just like yo we know you like the popeye sandwich <laughs> yep on, on thursdays at like 6 p.m yeah. They hit you up. Yeah, I like that. I like that. This world, there's there's a good place and a and a shitty place in the convenience of app AI and all that. Dude, I'm gonna serve myself here, but I want to know what you're sipping on. I have a bottle of some Ron Flor de Caña. Flor de Caña. Where's that made? So this is made in Nicaragua. And this is something that is very special to me because the first time I tried it, 
was at one of my homeboys' wedding. So he had a destination wedding, right? So we've known each other since like middle school and college. He went to law school. He gets married. And he's like, yo, I'm going to do it in the homelands. And so it was like, okay. Like the whole group of us that we've been boys, we've been going to everybody's wedding wherever it's been. And it was the first destination one. And it was awesome. This, they served it over there like water, like everywhere. They had this <sighs> and they had their local beers. And I really like appreciated it there. You know, it was fresh and everybody loved it. It was in all the drinks. And then I come to find out, I come back here and they sell it at Safeway. <laughs> <laughs> it was like, you never seen it before in your life. And then all of a sudden you see it everywhere. Yeah. Life changing. And it's smooth. It's very delicious. It's got a very unique, like Caribbean rum feel to it. Yo, bet, bet. Uh, yo, salut and thonce, man. I know, This is man. dope. I, haven't, I don't think this I've drank a little rum sippy yet. Sip. I'm leaning back on some Kraken. I had it here. <sighs> Because I was That's actually rum, right? making, yeah, cracking like the spice rum. rum. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. little caramel, other flavors. I had it here because over the holidays, since I wasn't going to be going home and I wasn't going to be kicking it with all my like Puerto Rican homies, I was just like, "Yo, somebody give me a ponche or coquito recipe." And this was this was one of the ingredients, right? And I try to try to hook Yo, it up. I heard nobody gives their coquito recipe out. Yo. Depending, yeah, depending on how you approach people, they're like, no, 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 you got to come over. I can make it for you. I actually ran into some like, I Twitter, Twitter hooked me up. I think I tagged like Latinx and gaming. I was like, yo, mi gente, help a brother out. I'm, I'm, I'm homesick. I'm nostalgic. I never yeah. had to make this before. Now pandemic's got me grounded. Let me give it a shot. For sure. I appreciate you, Juan. I appreciate you. This is dope. To the floor, Caña. So, have you had you been back to Nicaragua? Has it been a while? It was like I'm not. I'm not even from there. That's okay. He's from there, so he's okay. uh, the one that got married there where he grew up. So we were just going there to support, right? I am half Ecuadorian, half El Salvadorian. Okay. So I've only been to Ecuador. I still haven't gotten a chance to go to El Salvador. So it's on my bucket list. There you go. There you go. I, I couldn't even tell you what alcohol they make, but it's it's. I, I would assume it's all sugar canes. Oh, up well, and down. they got. I think they got this like rum called Tic Tac. I remember when my sister got married, my cuñado was just like, "This is, this the is shit. it. Come sit down, you this know." This is it. And yeah, we when we just like sat around and just passed the bottle on the little shot glass and just psh, telling stories and just yeah. like. Technology just goes away. That's what it's like to celebrate. Yeah. I love it, man. That's a good segue, bro, into like culture, homelands. And I know for the longest time when I was kind of navigating these game industry waters, it was never really around or it kind of all fell to me to be like, yo, John, you know, what, what, what are the foods? What are the drinks? What's the music? And it was always kind of giving or trying to, you know, trying to educate, trying to be the best representative I, c- I could be. But now, today, in 2021, there's a Latinx in gaming, bro. Like, where did, <laughs> where did this thing come from and where was it my whole life? We're making it. We've been here, you know. I think that's that's kind of the, the real thing is that, like, we have been here and people have been in this industry for a long time and sometimes even like overlooked or you know hiding it to survive or finding ways that you know they need to adapt to make it 
you know? And I think, you know, one of the things that we noticed when we, you know, came together as a panel and start something was like, you know, these conversations that we're having are real. And, you know, there's real people out there that are feeling isolated or alone, you know, like the games industry is small, but it's also, you know, very spread apart, you know, Mm -hmm. like even if you're on the same company, you know, there might be hundreds of people that you just don't know, you know, but y'all got the same company hoodie, you know, that you're contributing to like something together. But at the end of the day, like how close are you to that person? You know, are are you working on the same team? Are you working as part of the same pipeline? And when, you know, when we see each other out there, right? Like, I think there's a different kind of like feeling or bond that you kind of just know, right? Like, you're like, maybe I can speak Spanish to you. Maybe you understand that like, you know, we have different subsets of, you know, Latinidad. And, you know, one of the things that, like, I started at my company was just having a Spanish lunch and just being like, Rogelio, David, let's go, you know, eat at the Mexican restaurant and we're just going to talk in Espanol por la hora. And we would just sit there and just laugh and you know, tell stories about like growing up or, you know, a place where we all felt like, you know, more comfortable. Mm-hmm. And people would also even just like come join us and they didn't even speak, you know, Spanish. They'd be like, oh, no, no, I just want to listen because I'm, I'm learning, you know. But they would laugh and, you know, be part of it because we're all communally eating there together, right? Where we're nourishing each other, you know, through the mm. stories that we tell and the and the literal act of like putting food in our bodies. That's always a binding occasion, typically, right? Like no matter what's going on, you're sitting down, you're breaking bread with someone, you're at a table, you guys got to eat, and then as a result, how do you spend that time? Right? It's usually a very precious time, and sometimes take it for granted right like i've definitely hung out with people that are on their phone things like this and we've even had to be kind of hard code some rules like hey guys phone jail put put your phones in the middle of the table right and do not disturb like let's be present let's enjoy this meal yeah there yeah but there was so much of you know vibrant in the culture of us just being together in one room that really showed you know how how powerful and mythic we are when we come together i remember like you know there was just this vibrant energy of you know having a panel that was basically like a spotlight saying yo like we are here like you belong here like that was our message for like our you know the the first panel was like if you were looking for it what year was that? This was like 2017, I believe. Okay. Yeah, like 2017, like GDC. And the energy in that room kind of turned into like a, a group therapy session because, you know, we were like, yo, as Latinos, here's some of the issues that we see, right? Like there's not enough of us in the, the industry. We get stereotyped as the characters that we play. Um, we, um, you know, have immigration and law issues and just a, a, a robust, um, you know, version of, uh, 
of a conversation that like normally other people are having for us and we don't get to participate. But this time it turned into something a little bit more powerful and people were basically coming out and saying, yo, I live in Argentina and this is what I see. And somebody would say like, yo, I'm in Europe and I also see that, you know, and this is how it affects me. And, you know, we realized that the bonds that we were having, you know, through conversation were very powerful. And, um, you know, after we got our GDC results back, Mm -hmm. like we saw that like out of, you know, 400, you know, 20 something panels, like we were number 14, like best panels at GDC. Top 5%. Yeah, our first time coming together just to have a conversation. Wow. Yeah. So, so no, no real like intense behind it, other than hey, open, welcoming, come through, and yeah, top, you know, top fourteen. Wow. And we took a picture, you know, and actually, if you look at my Twitter. I'm on it. Um, I believe that's my like background picture, like my header image, right? And I think it's also my twin or my pinned tweet or whatever. Um, But that, yeah, that was that day, you know, all these strangers coming together to say, you know, there's so many of us out here. And, you know, after that, like we had a conversation, the people that were still on the panel and we're like, yo, like we got to keep this going. Like, this is good momentum. You know, that was March. It's now June. Like, I'm going to go to E3. Like, I'll be there. I'll do a meetup, you know? And, yeah. like, I'm, I'm going to meet somebody, right? I see your hair was a lot shorter. Yeah. <laughs> it was a lot shorter. That was, like, yeah, three years ago. And that's how I met, like, Danny Pena and Nars and some, like, other people that slowly began to like cultivate this like group and conversation that would keep talking about doing things. And as we built that community, it became important that it was more than just like us telling the same things. And we needed all those like different stories that made it feel unique to be the people that are on the panelists. Right. And so I kind of became the guy who, started applying to panels as Latinx and gaming, you know, and I would be like, yo, mi gente, want to be on a panel? And so many people would be like, I do, but I'm not qualified, you know? Really? And a lot of my work was to be like, what do you mean you're not qualified? Are you Latino? Yes. Are you in gaming? Well, kind of. Like, I do this. And I was just like, well, you know, I I make games on the side. Boom, you're in gaming, you know? And somebody would be like, oh, well, I... I'm in D&D gaming. And I was just like, well, gas gaming, you know? <laughs> so, like, yeah. we realized that, like, you know, being inclusive with our language and the words that we use, are, like, are very important because it, it gives people ownership to invest in what they want to participate in, mm-hmm. you know? And so that was, like, our message for, like, the first year was, like, like, here's a beacon, here's us. Like, look at the diversity that we have, not just from, like, where we're from, but what we do in the industry and how we contribute because it all counts, you know. And I think a lot of people are gatekeeping themselves, you know, because of the inner monologues and the words that we tell ourselves, like, I'm not good enough, you know, or I'm not qualified, 
or someone else is better. You know, like these internal words that we use, you know, shape the direction of what we build. So, you know, I think, you know, as an organization, as a company that wants to boost and promote our voices, like we got to be your champion, right? Like we got to say, yes, you can, si se puede, because, you know, we're showing you because we're out here. And if we can do it, then you can do it too. Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, that's powerful because for sure to, to put yourself automatically on the outskirts to be like, oh, I don't make the same types of games as the things that this conference is about or that people want to go listen to or speak about. And lo and behold, as soon as they take a chance or take a risk or put it out there or are or, or invited in to be like, yo, your game is the same as my game is the same as the other game, right? We all They all got to have design and player experience in mind and, and, and testing and, and, and pacing and things like that story. And after that, I'm sure it's, it's a domino effect, right? Of them spreading the message down hill, I imagine. Yeah. Yeah. Because like, I think, you know, that's how people slowly build up their cred, right? Like they do it, you know, and you gotta, you, you gotta be willing to try it and take a chance yeah take a chance you know something that i think about sometimes is like you know you got to you got to pat yourself on the back right so that you can lean forward and stick your chest out a little bit you know mm. and you know and 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 promote yourself and you know and believe in yourself so that even if you fall you fall forward you know and you can fall into opportunities which is still progress you can learn pick yourself back up. It's still progress, you know, and you just keep moving. The community is super powerful. And, and I've witnessed that over the, the past couple of years is the way that people promote, put on network, right? Introduce people. It's exhilarating really, man, to be in the discord see some of the conversations that are happening, see what's ha all the events that happen like year round, right? Like it feels like there's a nonstop calendar of things going on as, as an organization and, and as a nonprofit, man, congratulations for that. Oh, thanks so much. Yeah. I wonder if that's opened up a whole other venue or world of like collaboration, team. Absolutely. It's actually a huge step because when we first started doing this three years ago, it's literally six of us just planning spreadsheets, having a meeting every two weeks, you know, Christina championing us and telling us, you know, where's the, where's the document for this? Where's the memo for that? You know, really pushing us to kind of like keep the conversation going, you know, and I think that's kind of what we need to do even as leaders, right. To pull back the screen a little bit, like we have conversations and we, you know, share our work and we ask for feedback and we say, this is what I think we should do for a roadmap. Okay. Now Fernando's going to take a pass at it and he brings his perspective, right? Like, well, how does this include Latin America? Right? Like that's why we brought him on board so we can have a perspective that is grounded in, you know, a concern from the investment of, of what you bring to the table, right? Like, how are we going to use marketing for this? How are we going to, you know, create graphics or be able to like build and use our collective talent to, mm -hmm. you know, do something. And, 
you know, at, at the end of the day, it's really just relying on each other and building from the community, right? The three-day telethon that we put on as Unidos, that was over 60 pieces of programming and content and panels and talks and games. And that was all just organized from the community. And that's what we learned from bringing people up on panels to packs, you know, from meeting each other and saying, we are here, look how interconnected we are, right? So the first three years we've spent like building and growing. Um, and now that we're actually more than six people with, uh-huh. uh, you know, <laughs> with no free time, now we're six people with no free time and a bank account. And that's what makes the difference because now that we're a nonprofit, we have an entity and we have like, this is the beautiful part. You know, we have our community that's helping us grow and build this board of directors, right? Like we have, you know, lawyers, we have accountants, we have uh, Trini, you know, much love, like has, you know, shaped us into, you know, believing in us and becoming something bigger than we can be because of the impact that we're having. All it takes really is just, you know, one person believing in you and you just, you know, continue to believe in each other. And then you have two people believing in something. Yeah. And before you know it, like you're really making a change and you're connecting all the people that want to be included um, in that belief. I love it, man. You even use the word that I actually haven't heard spoken. I may have read it a few times, but Latinidad, right? It's it's just beautiful. Like it's my Latinness. Uh, right. But for, for whatever reason, I can't help but think of like unidad in Latin, right? Like so, so Latin unidad, right. Latin unidad. So yeah. It's kind of beautiful. I'm going to try to fit that more into my daily vocabulary of which it's like fading fast, right? The only time I use Spanish is when I speak with family back home. And so I, I love ideas that you've put out there that I definitely want to kind of steal for myself, right? Is to have lunches or gatherings, right? Where we just kind of, hey... Yeah. We're going to eat our own food, wherever, wherever that may be, right? Like Cuban food, yeah. Mexican food, Dominican food, Trinidad, you know, whatever. Yeah. And I think that's how we share the platform, right? Like that's, that's how we, how we spread that. And, and it becomes something that we all can participate in. Mm. Yeah. And then, then, then you get the interest of people that you didn't even know, right? Hey, I, I've been reading Spanish. I've been watching Spanish content. I want a chance to practice. So I just want to hear native speaking and just absorb it by proxy, right? Like that's awesome. Yeah, awesome. I mean the the community events. I think to me are, are the most beautiful thing, and the stuff that we do on the Discord, you know, to keep the conversation going, to have things to do, to keep people engaged, are great. Like I think uh, two or three weeks ago, mad props to Yesenia, Judy, and the team that put together a karaoke night. But there was like, you know, 30 people in the Discord and they were just passing around a YouTube link and like singing on camera and jamming out and dancing and, you know, relieving a lot of stress on a Friday night, but partying together yeah. alone, you know? Hell yeah. Um, All the like, singers a platform. There's something magical, which is, you know, when, when people can be themselves in a place that belongs to them. And that's what you guys have kind of created, right? Or the community has built up and carried forward. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, you, it's, you're it's right. In a really beautiful place, you know, a, a place where you can be who you are leads naturally to being kind of your most creative self, right? I think you're you're naturally better at your job when you're comfortable. Some people, you know, I could honestly say like being in my pajamas at home 
I'm much more creative. <laughs> oh, absolutely. You know, I think, you know, when you don't have things to think, you know, to worry about, you're kind of free to explore and, you know, really think about ideas. Mm. And I'm, I'm going to share that. I'm going to share this pro tip with you that I got from the creative director of Assassin's Creed, Patrice Desolé. Yes. Yes. Patrice Desolé. Yeah, what they do, they they got that the last thing they they got is like that evolution game. It's like ancestry or something. Like yeah, that. ancestors, I believe. Yeah, I haven't I haven't checked it out quite yet. Um, but when I was when I was in college, we were able to have like a small little talk at at the THQ boardroom because my professor worked there, and he was like, "Yo, I'm gonna let y'all talk to a game designer." You know, and like being able to have that impact. And he was just like, yo, I am Patrice. You know, I happen to be here for a meeting, but I'm also the guy that invented Assassin's Creed 2. And I'm going to tell you how I did it. And the thing that I took away from it was a bunch of stories of crazy shit that happens in development. But also when he needed to really think about a project, Mm -hmm. he would take a shower and he would say like, yo, there's something in there, right? When it's just like you and your thoughts and you got hot water just like activating your brain. You don't think about anything else and you concentrate and you kind of let your thoughts naturally go to where they need to. And, you know, there's this juxtaposition of like, you know, you being contained, but your mind being free. That is the balance that you kind of look for as you try to solve problems. And something in me just like clicked and was like, I'm gonna start taking hot showers, like when I got a problem. And so I kind of you know, built that into my routine as I became a game developer. And even still now as a writer, when I need to think about stuff, like I take a hot shower, you know, I find a place where I'm not on my phone. I'm not looking at the computer. I don't have those distractions. Like I allow myself to enter like deep work inside my brain by restricting those, you know, outside interferences. And so to, to your point, yeah, like having a place where you feel safe, where you can be yourself yep. frees you up to like really do you know that deep discovery of being yourself something about the bathroom it, that is kind of like a sanctity <laughs> it's like you know you're in your little bubble and you are allowed to do some of your best thinking no that, that's powerful and i still lock the door <laughs> <laughs> even in your house <laughs> yeah i live alone i still lock the door habits are hard to break i like that man i think that's a strong one for sure like by some means, some, you know, that's a natural visceral means to force yourself to unplug, detach, not be disturbed, right? Literally water is the enemy of a lot of electronics. And uh, <laughs> even, even as Alexa kind of creeps into shower heads and radios and things like that, it's still a great idea, right? Like, cause a lot of people, you know, even myself, I'm not innocent of it is despite my best intentions, I'm in the zone, I'm in flow, and my damn browser, I get a notification from some social media or some friend, and, and all of a sudden, I'm just like, you know, the what do they call this? It? like the little serotonin kicks in, like, yes, let me go click and see what's going on, and then I'm immediately ripped out of flow, right? And I was in the groove, man. I, I was solving some deep, deep problems that I couldn't make two systems kind of connect, and, you know, that, that takes a ton of time. So I appreciate that word of wisdom and, you know, the origin of it when it comes from a person who has that clout 
or can say he's a key voice in a blockbuster game, right? That's powered a big franchise. It has a little bit extra weight to it, right? Like, oh, if it works for him, you know, I got got to give it a shot. I need a thing on the show, like a little bell or something that rings. For sure. (laughs) Clarity. (laughs) I like it. Those like little moments. Yeah, for sure. Yo, so to the whole creating a space and and giving back and telling people you make games, you belong here, right? Like come through and then that grows. It's natural, right? It's a great message that grows. You and I actually ended up in the same event unknowingly. Correct. And it was for this like digital designers guild mentoring event that happened. Yeah, yeah. for the, is it University of Baltimore? University of Maryland, Baltimore County, UMBC. Okay. Shout okay. Out. So you know this place intimately? I almost went to school there. What? Yeah, that's from literally from like my backyard area of like Maryland. I say like I'm from DC, but I'm I'm literally from Tacoma Park, which is like right on the DC border. You know, like our metro stop is in DC. I grew up in like you know Tacoma Park, Langley Park, Silver Spring. This part of Maryland that was still like urban and kind of like part of DC, and it wasn't Baltimore, but. We grew up in similar, you know, trajectories, right? Like there wasn't really much art industry. There wasn't a belief that, you know, you could do anything outside of being a lawyer or a doctor, especially in DC where everything is so government focused. So if yeah. you were if, if you were lucky, you got a government job, right? Like that's that's what happened to my dad, right? My dad was doing janitorial work, but he knew like plumbing. And then he got a job, you know, working for the government at the water plant nice. you know, as a plumber, you know, as, an, as a mechanic, as an engineer, working on, on pipes. And that was where the stability came from, right? Like the government isn't going to go out of business, allegedly, you know, <laughs> we find out as we get older. <laughs> the thing that I learned from that was he got the job through my aunt's husband's dad, right? So you just see the power of networking, right? And how that can impact and change the trajectory that you go. And because there aren't that many game designers, because there aren't that many game developers, it's just a a very isolating feeling because you're working on something. You got this pipe dream of wanting to be something amazing, but you're in Maryland, you know, like literally on the opposite end of where like you think entertainment happens. You think that's like LA, right? Or like New York or, you know, the bigger hubs, right? Like- New York now, man, because New York back back in the day, it was it was like one or two studios. But now there's a bunch more. Right. But but what I'm saying is from like a Maryland perspective, like you got to leave, like you got to explore and expand. It just became very difficult. And so funny enough, I went to community college. I went to USC in L.A., you know, for that reason, you know, trying to put myself in the hub of entertainment, trying to make those connections and network because that's how I thought would be a way to get in. That was my overall plan, right? Like put yourself where the industry is happening, present your case. Is that USC? They're pretty huge game development program. It was the number one program when I applied. And that's why I wanted to do it, right? Like I wanted to be able to have that clout and be able to say like, no, like don't judge me for what I look like. 
or what I've been through, but rather for like what I know and what I can bring. And what ends up happening is all the lessons that we learn are important. They are the stories that we say, oh man, like I learned this from this experience, right? Mm-hmm. Like that's why we have postmortems and games. Oh, those are so valuable. But that's even why we play, you know, video games to, you know, to kind of like learn from our mistakes and steer ourselves and do better. So when we apply that to real life, I knew that the impact that I would have, you know, being able to come back home, back to Maryland and say like, you know, not only can you do this, right, but I literally came from the same place. And we literally had the same professor, right? Shout out to Professor Solomon, who was my teacher in 2008, you know, and she's still teaching these young game developers. And, the, you know, the cool thing is, it was because we put on Unidos and we had the mentorship cafes that these students from the Digital Designers Guild were inspired and started their own. They basically reached out and we connected them with the people who ran it and they connected them together and they said, yo, when we ran it, these are the things we learned, right? So like you see this theme of like how, who you connect with, the information that you pass along and the way that you can really inspire by, you know, being able to have these conversations, you know, and, and, and to get meta on it. Like, that's why I love coming and having conversations like this together, right? Because mm-hmm. this is a safe space where we understand what we have been through and, and what we're trying to do to show that this is possible for everyone else, right? So thank you for inviting me on. Um, and giving me a platform to tell other people that, you know, yes, you who's listening to this right now, that this is possible. I had aspirations of doing something like this, right? Like, yo, game developers are so cool. And all you ever hear about are the games and the journey to making the game. And it's usually only a certain person, like, you know, some exec producer, some creative director, right? Something like that. And you never hear about the developers behind it, right? The armies of developers or the passionate groups of developers. I still have nieces and nephews that think, you know, Fortnite and games like this are made in Japan, right? That it's it's not them people from where they, they come up. And so I appreciate you, Juan, for coming through and helping me spread the message that we can all do this if we want to. You have an idea for a game. And as long as you are driven to study, understand what it takes, listen to shows like this, go to events, reach out, connect, that you can do this. Because I remember back in back in the day, it was a lot more intimidating to connect and network for whatever reason, right? For whatever personality type I was coming out of school, being like, wow, what do I even say to people that are already doing the thing I want to do, right? Much to the points you were making earlier, where feeling like, oh, I'm not ready to have the conversation yet right i don't have yeah. enough cred or have done the thing long enough to yeah to sit at the table no i i i totally agree with you you know one of the most important moments in my life that like, i still remember this right now actually shout out to my professor uh, jeremy gibson at usc uh, i think he's at like michigan now but during one of our like game design courses yeah. He literally had a slide in the presentation and all it said was, I am a game designer. And he had the whole class read that slide out loud so that you got comfortable saying it out loud because of these like internal gates. And then he would listen and he'd just be like, all right, that's it. 
I have a room of game designers. It's just a, di- a different way in which you kind of like think about it that way. I feel like I've lived like a very like hard, but also like really lucky coincidental, like privileged life where, you know, I just happened to be at Montgomery College in Rockville, Maryland, you know, when Fallout 3 by Bethesda came out. And one of the things that they were having was like a midnight opening at the Best Buy. So like if you've ever been to the Best Buy at like Rockville Pike, like that's the one. And I remember I was like a freshman and I, I got in line and, you know, the developers are just like, you know, walking around and like, you know, signing books, I guess. I don't even know like what, what it was, right? Like I didn't even buy anything yet, but maybe like the player, the game guides or the instruction manuals, uh, posters. They had like the, the big old Brotherhood of Steel, like armored figure, like, like a life-size one, like oh. seven feet tall there. Okay. You know? And, and it was just like, whoa, like. This thing is massive. And the, the funny thing is that they kept it in that Best Buy, like, oh, forever. Wow. Like, like, you could probably still go to it now and still, like, see it there, right? Like, if they ever want to sell it. Like, it's I like a landmark. It. it should be. That should be, like, a video game piece of history. But this is this is where, where it's going, where I think, like, the authenticity, not only of being yourself, allowing yourself to explore and be freely, but even, like, writing that and putting that into the stories that you tell. You know, growing up in D.C., talking about a game that takes place in DC from the people that built it in a studio in DC. The very first thing that I wanted to do, tell me about Tacoma Park, <laughs> right? <laughs> like, uh, like, I want to go to my house. Like, can I go yep. to my house in the game, right? I know it's not Google Maps. Yeah, it's not one-to-one, but... This is how we want to see ourselves in games, right? This is why we have, you know, streamers crying when they play Spider-Man, Miles Morales, right? Like, there's a power in, in when we see ourselves on TV. Like, I'm not Mexican, but I'll never forget how I felt watching Coco. Yo, de verdad, for sure, for sure, for sure. I got some some cuñas, cuñals that we, we were all hitting them up to be like, yo, you know, do you have the, the little monument to the dead kind of thing? Uh, like, so, yeah, and all that, right? Like, all of a sudden, people get interested and they want to learn more, right? Where it helps on all ends, right? It helps you see yourself outside in mainstream media, and then it opens the door for like friends that know you to ask you more, to inquire, right? To want to learn, to now all of a sudden they're interested because it's portrayed in popular media. You know, there, there was something really beautiful about knowing the realness in those games. If you've ever been to a DC metro station and you stepped into any of the ones in Fallout 3, they're all the same. They nailed it, right? They got the right tiles. They got the right cement ceilings, like the lights, the architecture, like the people that did it, like know the aesthetic and built it. Funny enough, I was seeing on Twitter that somebody is opening up a outdoor like restaurant area in DC, like uh-huh. out of the old metro cabs. And they didn't even get the right tiles. <laughs> you know? oh. It's just like, how are you going to be at DC Metro Bar and you don't get the right tiles? Like, this basic shit. The details make a difference. You know, there's a lot of times, I know when we're doing this and we're trying to, you know, move fast and get things done, it's easy to overlook some fine details like a texture, right? And be like, oh, yeah, yeah, this looks fine. And it's important to speak up and have voices from all different areas that can tell you to be like, no, 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 this is what it should be, or this is what it looks like. And when people who know the deal see it and catch on, I kid you not, man, it definitely bumps up your Metacritic like five or six points for sure. Yeah. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think there was like a study or an article that I just saw where like $10 billion are left on the table by Hollywood by not producing black content. 10, you know? 10, 10 billion B would it be? Yeah. With a B. Damn. It's a shame that it has to be a money thing, but it's the world we live in, right? Where money talks of money draws attention and and market right it's all about where can we get and also funds money also funds and creates those opportunities and that's kind of where it's difficult because it's who has the money kind of controls you know who has the platform right like you know that's one of the things that we've discovered as six people running a business now that just because you have a bank account doesn't mean money's coming in true right So we got to come up with ideas. We got to sell those ideas. We got to ask for money to execute those ideas and make it happen. But you know what? It's that work. It's that seeing yourself out there, knowing that you're making an impact on the community and being able to change someone's life that really makes it worth it because that person is then going to turn into another person in the industry who Mm -hmm. is going to help someone else get in. Right. And so like once we get through the door, I think we just have to let people know like where the door is and let them find their way through it as well. That's powerful, man. I would have told you that I do not consider myself a mentor, but that simple meeting over that weekend, Martin Garcia, I have the email and I got paired up with a Jordan Peterson, if he's listening to this, who is just like, all right, this is what I do day to day help me understand what you'd like to do or what your perceptions of the job or the industry or the different roles are, right? He came at me like, I think I want to be an engineer, but I was also thinking about being a game designer, maybe even a QA tester. And I was just like, all right, let's sit down. Let's lay this out. Let's go through it, right? From end to end. This is what each role does. And this is what they play and helping him kind of understand which lane he really wanted, right? Like he was kind of coming at it like, I can do all these things. And I was like, all right, but what really excites you, right? And I'm kind of able to guide down a path just to be like, here are the positions you should look out for. Here are the words that you want to search for. And it was awesome. It was really awesome, man. To feel like, hey, I was able to help someone thinking that I had nothing really to kind of say or offer was a great feeling. Yeah. Stories are how we you know, pass along this knowledge, right? Whether it's overtly and directly by, you know, me telling you explicitly, yo, don't do that thing, right? Like a parent, you know, teaching a a child or, you know, thematically when we watch things on TV, you know, where it's just like, oh, maybe I should not rob a bank because I'm gonna get in trouble and end up in prison. So like stories are, are how we kind of connect the dots, and that is how, you know, kind of shapes what we believe because we see it, right? So that just kind of like leads us into kind of shaping those experiences. That's why it's important for us to see each other in these roles and connect, you know, and even if you think you don't have anything to share, my friend, the fact that you exist in the role that you do, right? Like show someone else that that is possible. And, and not only is it possible, but like, I now have like a, a one-to-one connection and a little bit of time, you know, of, of your time to absorb as much as I can. I do the same thing too, where it's just like, I want to help, mm-hmm. but I can't solve everybody's problem. And as yeah. much as I wish that I could hire every single person or find them a job or anything else, like I, I can only help you so much. But even if all you need is someone to believe in you, I got you. We'll make a plan, we'll figure out a backup plan, and we'll get across that finish line, you know? 
That's powerful, right? Sometimes all a person ever needs is just kind of a nudge in a certain direction, where to take that first step and see where they can go. I see you talking a lot about, you know, storytelling, conversation, the power of shared experience and things like this. So it might not be a big surprise to people listening, but you are a writer or, or pardon me, narrative designer. Please educate me <laughs> as I always like to throw those around interchangeably. Well, I, I'm both actually. So you're not wrong. All right. I knew it. Yes. A part of me writes and a part of me also designs. And so when you think about it, a clear different way to, to set it up is to say something like there's a game or an experience and there's, there's a story that happens, you know, a, a beginning, a middle and an end. Along the way, there's different things that happen. And so part of the narrative designer is coming up with those beats. Yeah. Thinking about like, okay, well, you know, what needs to happen? And, you know, in a perfect world, the narrative designer is working with a writer who is going to then execute that majesty and that poetry of building the world and letting it come to life, right? So I remember, you know, working with the very talented Lauren Mee, who is now the, I believe, the lead writer of Ratchet and Clank that's coming out soon. And we would sit in the room and just be like, okay, so what is required of us for the scene, right? As a narrative designer, I'd be like, all right, the story needs us to do X, Y, and Z. These are the ways that we can interact or unpack the story, you know, come together to a vision, have a conversation, collaborate. And then Lauren would go in and write it, right? She would actually like write the words, the dialogue, the pacing. So I would say something like, okay, this moment needs to be sad. Okay. And then, you know, she would come in and write something so beautiful that I would just be like, oh my God, like I'm about to cry reading this, right? So the narrative design is really something that is built more for the overall big picture that's not just the story, right? Everything contributes to the narrative, right? The story is what happens beat by beat, you know, with the plot and the characters and the dialogue. But the narrative is how that expands and also takes writing into account. But how's the world built? Where's the lore? Do you believe that there's something on the other side of the store because the environment tells you a story? Think about all the, all the doors that you walk by in video games that you don't open. But a part of you believes that something is on the other side, right? Yeah. So, you know, as a narrative designer, you think about, or at least I do, what are all the ways that I can use my senses to tell the story? And how can I use all the things at my disposal to enhance and bring that to life, right? So what are the things that I'm seeing? I got to talk to environment art. You know, what are the things that I'm hearing? You know, then I got to talk to the audio department that I'm smelling, right? Maybe, you know, some VFX, right? Like mm-hmm. you start thinking about, you know, like the, the vapors, like in cartoons, like when Tommen goes floating through the air because he smells the food or whatever. Those are common things to like potentially pull the player in a specific direction, right? Or invite them off the beaten path, right? To a little side quest yeah. or something like that. 
for narrative designers, like I think there, there's so much and it's so robust because it's all depends on the story that you're telling and the mechanics that you're building. And, you know, there's a difference between building something for TV to mm-hmm. building something for mobile, you know, like they're yeah. like just understanding the ways that like people interact, understanding who your audience it is, like what you're building. You could have, you know, five narrative designers on a panel and all five of them have completely different jobs just because of the the different area of focus, the different area of expertise, you know, there's no one right way to tell a story or be a writer. You know, mm-hmm. it's really finding, you know, your voice and finding out like how you and what you know, you what you bring to the table to tell your story. You know, how are you designing the narrative which is the collection of all the stories of everything that's happening. It's basically the, the sum of all the pieces. Mhm. Mhm. Can you help me understand the relationship with the rest of the team? You mentioned that the writer works closely with the narrative designers and narrative designers kind of work closely with a lot of the other departments, right? Like art, audio, systems, gameplay, things like this. Ideally, yeah. Like ideally, like your leadership team would put have someone that understands what the entire picture is, mm-hmm. right? Because if you aren't playtesting and if someone isn't really talking and communicating the vision yeah your expectations of what you want are not going to be what you get you know like one of the things that we would get a lot of like bugs at telltale was we would enter this like stage of polish where the environment team would build these amazing little artifacts that gave like nooks and crannies everywhere and pictures but what would often happen is that in building up the environment they would put a tree right where the camera needs to go. <laughs> Don't you love that? It was just like, okay, well, like no fault to them. They did their job and built a like world, you know, beautifully exactly who it was. You know, no fault to the person who designed the shot because when they planned for it, that stuff wasn't there. But there's mm-hmm. like a, a gap in communication, right? You know, who finds that, right? Like mm-hmm. who's responsible for that? Right. Like who cares about that? Right. Like obviously someone in QA would say about it because it's bad for the viewer experience. But, you know, at the end of the day, like how could we have facilitated that? How could we have had a conversation earlier? How could we grow from our feedback? Right. Like how could we have these kind of like postmortems or talks or something so that the next time that this is going to come around, it doesn't necessarily happen that way. Yeah, true, man. I'm glad you brought up Telltale because when I think of Telltale Games, I feel like they are the heaven for narrative designers and writers, right? Because the the game is the story, so to speak, right? And then all the different paths you can take and the decisions you make. I like that you went there too, speaking to, hey, who's the person that spots a thing or or identifies a thing or gets it fixed? Because you had an interesting transition. Uh, As I understand it, you came in to Telltale on the production side before you evolve Mm -hmm. into a narrative designer. So you've probably seen a kind of both ends of that spectrum. Oh, absolutely. You know, and, and that's actually what I think really helped me out too, was coming in with this knowledge base. When I started, I started off as a producer, you know, I got my degree 2013. I got hired AP assistant producer. And what was your degree in Juan? My degree is in interactive entertainment. So it's not necessarily like a focus on like game design. It's not necessarily a focus on art or 
you know, engineering, but rather, the, you know, the holistic experience. You know, I, I think that the curriculum at USC is amazing because it gets you to make games, but also forces you to think up outside of games, but also yeah. learn a cinematic language that empowers mm-hmm. you to pick and choose what you're really interested in, focus on that, participate and leave with the experience of making something like absolutely anybody that leaves from there can go off and make their like indie masterpiece you know like we see that you know the the game threes like asher made that like when i think he was probably working on that when we were still in school because like it launched and it was amazing the outer wilds that was a thesis project when i was in school where cards fall you know sam rosenthal the guy who created blaseball that's my college roommate shout out it's a beautiful industry when we all are allowed to explore and believe in, in our ideas. So why mm. wouldn't we want to create a place where that's how we learn and that's how we believe in each other's ideas and grow from that? That's a powerful approach. I haven't typically seen that too often, right? Usually it's like, oh, you want to be an engineer, you want to be a designer, yeah. you know, you want to do the thing. I like that open-ended approach, right? Where, hey, we kind of show you everything. You have the tools you need to build the thing. But maybe you'll figure out where's your strength or passion. And at the end of the day, you got to apply to one job. <laughs> you know, <laughs> that one job's got to hire you. So as it turns out, like, I got hired to be an assistant producer. We were a small company. You know, when I started, it was still indie. Like, like they're not AAA. It was about 90, I, th- I think, to 100 people that worked there. When I started, well, that's a good size. I mean, what was the first project when you got there? I was working on the Walking Dead. F- Actually, hold on. The very first project that I worked on when I got there was Fables 101. So, like, oh. The Wolf Among Us. I don't even think it had been called like the name yet. Because I remember my fir- one of my first assignments was gathering the art for the Game Informer piece that was going to be written about The Wolf Among Us. Okay. I get to this company and I'm just like, all right, like I got into the door by showing them that I could produce games, right? Like showing them that, you know, I helped someone make a thesis, you know, I put together a team and built a prototype and then, you know, that turned into a final game and that student game ended up like going on to like win awards. But like, it's the fact that like, you know, you're, you're putting together something and you're contributing and you're finishing, right? Like that's what, yes, you know, finish. got me through the producer's door, right? What, what was the interview like? <laughs> so the interview is super meta. I feel like there was an interview on the way to the interview because I got rejected by them actually. So like the real story is I applied in October, got rejected in like November then in December, I ran into them at the USC Demo Day. I recognized seeing them on stage from the VGAs having won the game. So I was just like, yo, that's that's Dan Connors, right? So I went up and I was just like, yo, this was one of the best things I've like ever played, The Walking Dead Season 1. Congratulations with all sincerity. Like That thing was amazing. And... As I was walking away, like I felt like my heartbeat and it was just like a part of me was just like, just say it, Juan. Just say it. Take a shot. Take a shot. And I was just like, 
And by the way, like I had applied for this assistant producer job, but I got rejected. And I was just, you know, wondering if I could get some feedback on like, and he was just like, whoa, like, do you have your resume? And I like, of course, like it's demo day. I'm here to get hired. I'm prepared, right? Like I felt, I felt like James Bond and I put like, yeah, exactly, right? I had my folder, slid it out. Here you go, one resume. He looks at it, you know, and he sees like my track record. And one of the things I haven't even told you about yet, but I was in the Marines for eight years. Oh, that's right, bro. That's right. And he starts bringing up like, oh, do you like the Bay Area? How do you feel about this? You know, and I was just like, yeah, like whatever. Like, (laughs) yeah, I go with. I think it was like December 12th was a Tuesday. The following Wednesday, he hits me up and he's like, "Uh, yo, would you be able to come in for an interview on Friday? Wednesday to Friday. Two days. But I'm in LA and they're up in San Francisco. So okay, I'll find a way to make it happen, you know? And, like, this could be, like, a movie about, like, the road trip that I took with my friend who was going home to the holidays. And one of the people in our car that we were going with was a uh, foreign exchange student. And so we're all, like, dividing up the drive. And then we realize, like, she's never driven in the U.S. But I don't find that out until I'm in the back seat waking up because she's going, ah! <laughs> Yo. And I was like, all right, all right, I'll drive us the rest of the way, right? I ended up, you know, staying with a buddy in San Mateo and the job interview was in Marin. And I had to find a way to get up there, which is like on the other side of the Golden Gate Bridge, and figure out like what train, bus, Uber, yeah. like how am I gonna get there? Cause I am not going to miss this opportunity, right? You're on a mission, you're on a quest. I'm on a quest. So I make it there. And it's literally the Friday before holiday break. What break? Christmas break. Oh, shit. Okay. So like December 20 something. There's bottles out. Like people are like, you know, they're ready ready to celebrate and holiday party, like, you know, kicking back. And I show up. I'm in my like, you know, college shirt with my sweater. Did you have an itinerary? Like, yo, this time, this day, you're going to meet with so-and-so, blah, blah, things like that? Like Nothing. Nothing. Like, day of. Let me take a step back. We're in 2021, so it's easy to take for granted the fact that, like, you can't do a virtual interview. It's, it's got to be on site. And they didn't, like, fly you out, right? They're like, hey, you're close enough. We'll see you there if you really want it. I didn't even know that was an option. <laughs> I love it, Juan, because you're like, yo, I'll do whatever the fuck it takes. Yeah. And you tell me to go to your studio. I will be there. Hella high water. However, however. And so you're in Marin from L.A. So in less than two days for all intents and purposes. And all you know is, did they give you the address or they're just like, hey, was there any like official emailing? Yeah, there was a. I got, I got an email from the like recruiter that was okay. just like, "Yo, yo, meet me here, and like I'll I'll give you a ride to the office because it's hard to find." And she was right; like it was it was definitely hard to find. Don't meet me at the office. Meet me at this location, and then I'll take you. Right, to the office. Okay? You know, but I'm not afraid. Like I'm a marine, right? Like I'm gonna make it happen. You tell me Friday at ten, bet I'll be there at nine forty-five, fifteen minutes prior. Punctual. I love it. That that's one good thing the military teaches. So. I just want to take a moment to give you all the credit in the world for like seizing the hell out of that, that challenge, right? Like, Hey, here's your challenge. If you accept it, we'll see you. So that's epic. I'm loving where this is going. 
that's been the story, right? Like facing those challenges and, you know, believing in yourself, you know, and, and another thing that I also failed to mention is that I did not get accepted into USC the first time that I applied either. I'm being. Yeah. So like, you know, like there's a theme. And if you go back a little further, like I'm a Marine Corps sniper and I failed, I failed my first time through sniper school. You know, there's lessons that you learn along the way to kind of put yourself back on track, learn, grow from your mistakes, you know, have courage to take that shot again and continue on. Amen, dude. So perseverance, right? Not taking no for an answer, getting back up, trying again and seizing it. I would also add resilience, right? Like it's got to be your own ability to bend to the flow. I remember growing up reading Bruce Lee's books and he would talk about water does not bend. But and you, and you just think about, oh, that's how poetically he's really talking about it, right? Like you have to be fluid. Like you have to adapt, right? And go with the flow. Like there are some things that you cannot fight because like that's just the way math works. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah. <laughs> so to that, I mean, I mean, like I, we, I definitely want to keep going about Telltale. And, and and getting to the interview seems like it seems like just getting to the office was like all right he it's did he's, he, yeah yeah yeah, yeah so I go through and I'm just like I think I think they did two or three panels and it was like three or four people a piece and I'm just like getting toasted and gauntlet actually hold on I do remember knowing that I was going to meet one person because my previous manager at my internship chris baker was like oh yeah i know brett toasty tell him chris says hi or something you know and i was like all right they knew each other from like lucas arts days okay and come to find out brett toasty's first game was zombies ate my neighbors which was my first super nintendo game that i bought from kb toys i was like yo you talking about that snes game yeah we shooting with the water guns Damn. yeah you're taking me back I got it at like the bargain bin for like 10 bucks. Damn, bro. Cartridges were so expensive right. back in the day too, like unnecessarily expensive. So, you know, the world's just coming back like full circle serendipitously. And I'm just like, I don't know what to tell this man, right? Like, thank you for Zombie Ate My Neighbors. Like, that's how I kind of how you feel when you say thank you for your service. Where it's just like, I, don't, I didn't do it for you. I don't know. So I have the, I have the interviews. And then afterwards, they're like, yo, do you want to stick around for a party? And I just couldn't. I was just like, I don't know these people. Like, I'm sitting here, I'll be awkward. Like, I'm socially awkward in general. But it just got to me to this point where I was like, well, thanks for the opportunity. Yeah, 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 for sure. Cut to, I missed one person. Like they were sick or they were in a meeting. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. She might have, she might have even already gone on vacation. I'm not sure. Sure. But I missed one producer. And it was only like, this is how small the company was there was only like six total producers, right? Like it was like two executive producers, two producers and like two assistants and an associate or something. Like it was very small. Like I joined the team and I was like, oh, there's only eight of us to like run all the projects. So I go through like everyone except her, but my life had to go on, right? So like, Mm -hmm. they're like, all right, we'll, we'll reschedule you. So her interview I think was like the following week or something, but like I was moving out of my apartment in LA you know, I was like, I need to figure out what I'm going to do with my life because I'm either going to take this job in the Bay Area. I don't have a job here in L.A. I'm not going to sign a lease, you know, 
Yeah. So I'm I'm homeless and jobless, but I'm going to figure something out as I was graduating school. And she calls me and we're like, okay, they set up the interview. We're having this interview. Like, But you're back home now. I'm back in the apartment. I'm taking a literally a break from packing. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Then the door like knocks and it's the apartment complex people like giving someone a tour of my apartment while I'm trying to do like an interview. And I'm like, yo, huh. like, sorry, I can't talk, you know, and they're, and they're asking me questions like, you know, just, you know, how's the view or like, you know, is it loud at night? And I'm just like, like, I'm, I'm busy. Like I'm in a different mental state. Anyways, I end up getting the job. And one of the first things that like my new boss was, you know, tells me it was just like, you know, I thought you just didn't want the job. Like you were like busy with like something else. And I was just like, no, please understand. <laughs> like, you know, wait, busy, busy because of the apartment people. Yeah. Because of the apartment people, I wasn't giving her the, the full attention of the interview and stuff, you know, shit just will like happen, but it, you have to be flexible. You got to persevere. You got to be hell. Yeah. You got to put your best foot forward. And that preparation comes from me knowing what to do. And now I can use these stories to tell other people like, yo, watch out for these gaps. Like, <laughs> did you know you could ask them to fly you out? Like, I didn't know that. <laughs> yeah. To your point, right? We, we don't know what the rules are, right? Like people haven't told us we haven't been in this situation before, right? We didn't. We don't come from that privilege to be like, oh, yeah, I'm going to get flown out in a hotel and food and taxi and a car. I, wish. I would have given you so many points, bro. I would have just been like, yo, this guy is willing to get his butt up here on like a college budget. He's got my full attention. The job is his until he says some dumb shit, right? Like, <laughs> so funny enough, when I got my job at Netflix and I got hired... Shout out to Dave, my director. He was like, oh, man, he worked at Telltale and he was in the Marines. Like, this guy can get through anything. You know, and I laughed. Did you guys work together at Telltale? No, no, no. He, this is what he said after he hired me. Oh, OK, OK. He's saying this about you. Yeah, like his nugget of I believe in you was just like, given everything that you've already gone through, like, yeah, you can push through and help, you know, this team exactly in that way. It's through believing in yourself. It's through trying. And even when you like, you know, fall down, you just, you know, get back up and try again. Man, I think I think those are the key lessons of this whole shebang. And I think just thriving and surviving in the industry, right? Going through studio closures, project cancellations, rejections, features getting cut, right? That you kind of yeah. your baby, you have to cut a feature, right? Or or random things like this yeah. or everything that you work for like and it still happens right like you work oh, yeah. on something for like three four months you get it up and working and then one day they just like oh we decided to cut it that hurts yeah. man i wanted to give a shout out to everybody that's out there trying to find their way and figuring out what their path is you kind of have to see through the fog to kind of relate this back to like my preparation that went and everything that I learned in like sniper school was to basically like get on target. Right. And you kind of got to like, you know, do all your preparation that you can to to get there. You plan your missions. You got to read up what's on the weather. What's the terrain going to be like? And then when you get to your position before you take a shot, you got to make sure that you're on target. And sometimes there's like trees in front of you and like bushes, but you know exactly like what you're looking for. And I think, you know, in a way I've applied that 
kind of focus to my life, you know, in, in a way that I say, oh, this is what I set my sights on. And I'm gonna make a plan that builds to that. And because I see it, I think we can build it. And so when we built Unidos, you know, the three-day telethon, there was just a belief that, hey, I see it, right? I see it could be like three days. I don't know the panelists that are going to be on. I don't know how many people are going to be on it or who's going to do it. But I can see us working together to build a thing that kind of looks like this. Sounds like you kind of work backwards from the goal. You have to. You know where you want to be. You know the thing. You don't know the in-between. You know how you can get there. But you work backwards through that. Exactly. You do the planning to get there. And you gotta you gotta burn that window, right? Like you have to sit there and look through that scope or sit in your shower and like think through your mental fog and figure out how you're gonna connect those dots, right? Carlos, how are you gonna get from Cleveland to Seattle? How are you gonna build up your art streaming business, right? Like you can do this. And I say this with all the love to my friends because I believe in them. And if you're out there listening to this, like Let's have a conversation about that because you can get it there too. So shout out to anyone that's out there believing that they can do it because you absolutely can. You know, your mileage may vary, but that's up to you to decide what success and happiness look for you. Something I've come into recently, you know, some book I was reading is the idea of vision boards, right? And mm-hmm. just having, having this way to literally put the picture of the thing you see for yourself and giving you that goal, giving you that target, right? To be like, hey, I don't know how I'm going to get there, but I, that's what I want for myself, right? And and that helps you call out the decisions, you know, to, to your decision fatigue, right? Like yeah. when you have so many options in front of you, if you have this degree that has taught you all the different things that you can do in this industry, how do you help refine the path you want to take forward, right? And so to the point of, keep your eyes on the target. What is that target, right? Like a vision board is a really cool device to help keep some perspective to be like, okay, this house or that city or this person or this animal, you know, I think it helps to the decisions you make, right? If I got to decide between LA or the Bay, right? What's going to help me decide between those two, for example? I want to know because for some people it's common and for other people it's rare, right? So there's a spectrum there between the people that are able to make big transitions in this industry from one profession, career, discipline to another. And I've always said that designers are kind of like glue-ish, right? Where they they can naturally be producers because, you know, usually you're like involved in so many different things. But I'm curious, I'm super curious to know... What was that transition like for you going from production to narrative design? And especially, I think, as you mentioned, that Telltale was rapidly growing too, right? From like a hundred person team, like a one or two project team up. For sure. I think the very first thing that I want to start with is like talking about like a diverse and robust education and really being able to pull from different parts of life and even just your different interests. And they don't all have to follow any kind of template, but it's good to have a diversity of of knowledge because you'll start to see patterns that transcend and you'll see why things like work together, right? Like music and animation work really well 
you know, because it's all about timing and choreography, which is why like things like Fantasia are so amazing, right? Because you think that there's extra work being done, but it's really just, you know, taking advantage of the patterns and the timing and the loops and then being able to like reuse that knowledge down the line, you know, and you can look and you can see how like the dances that they did, the literal dances and animations that they used in Fantasia would then go on and be the ones that they reused for Robin Hood when they're when the bears are dancing, you know, really? like all those. Yeah. In the Jungle Book, you know, when the little kids climbing up a rock and playing like those are then reused in like Winnie the Pooh, you know, Christopher Robin doing the same thing. And so when I got to really see the reuse and how it's being used as a producer, that's kind of telling you bottom line this has to get made or we're going to be like, you can dream as big as you want to, but we're going to run out of time or money or both. And, you know, we are going to figure out what, what it is that we're making. I always value producers for that, right? Like I value them for their concern or shepherding of the schedule and the funds. <laughs> yeah, for sure. I got to learn like all the different like departments, right? So like one of my first tasks was like being in charge of the animation budget, right? And it would basically be like a spreadsheet that was like, this is how much time we have left. This is how much work we have left to do. And yeah, you're basically creating a burn down chart. This is our plan on how to get there to our target. If we look through the fog, right? You're coming ways to coming up with plans to solve these problems. And as I got into more and more meetings, my work became more and more spreadsheets. And that's not who I am. Like, I'm a creative person, right? Like, I love writing. I love, you know, composing music. I love thinking of how do we solve creative story problems? And I had to advocate for myself and be like, hey, I want to be a designer. And they said, no. How does that conversation happen, right? Like, who do you tell that to? So because we were a small company, it was small enough that like I could, you know, just go up and talk to them. And, you know, we had worked on other things, but in my role as a producer, I had built clout, but I had built producer clout. And Ryan said to me. And Ryan is like what lead designer? Oh, Ryan Kaufman. He was the director of design at Telltale. Amazing guy. Now I think he's the VP of design over at Jam City. Amazing storyteller. Yeah, yeah. And like, he knows like what questions to ask, right? Mm-hmm. To kind of like get you to think about certain things. And, you know, the one of the questions that he asked me was, well, you know, if you're a designer, what can you design? Fair. Right? Like, show me. Put your money where your mouth is. And like, at the time, I didn't have a portfolio, right? Like, well, the games that I had shipped, I had shipped as a producer. And so I had to basically just advocate for myself and be like, look, like, this is what I really want to do. And, you know, because we were growing, there was all kinds of work that needed to be done. Yeah. Opportunity. When it comes to like having opportunity, having initiative, fall forward, take a chance, volunteer for that work. You know, I asked for like, well, let me sit in, you know, the creative meetings. Like I'll take the notes for the reviews. And that's literally what my job was. I would sit in the, and I would take the notes of all the brilliant people in the room, giving their feedback on, you know, why something isn't working and just taking all those notes. And then we would have another meeting and we'd be like, now let's go through all the feedback and address how we're going to fix it. 
And you'll notice that in those notes, there were often patterns, right? Like, I don't like this character. This character says something stupid. This is something bad. And it'd just be like, well, it'd be a lot easier if we just cut the character. You see big picture. Problem solved. Or sometimes it'd be like, hey, this isn't clear. And so it's just like, okay, well, what kind of problem is it? Is it something that we solve with art? Is it something that we solve with a line of dialogue? Do we have to change the camera scene? You start to have these different conversations because you start to understand like what the problems are. And so I learned by watching. I would watch other people's mistakes. I would basically be like, okay, this is the path that you took. This is what didn't work out for you. This was really cool. This worked out. This is now a new system. Okay, that, that makes sense. Or that's a way to do it or phrase it. And eventually we got to the point where there was too much work to do. Mm-hmm. that they were like, who's going to write this scene? And I was just like, yo, I'll do it. And my very first scene as poetically stepping out of the shadows from a producer focused to more of a design thing was you know, stubbing out the scene of Bruce and Selena having coffee together in the first scene of Batman where they're being coy and talking about recognizing each other from the previous night fighting. So you're taking me back because everybody has their Telltale game and Telltale Batman was it for me, right? At the time, I was also working on like a Batman title. And so when this came out, it was perfect, right? We were all, the whole team was like, yo, let's play the shit out of this. To this day, I love the chemistry and just the comic book lore of Selena and Batman, right? Like when they got married, I was or trying to get married. I was all over that storyline. And I thought that the game, I'll be honest with you, to me, the challenge was obvious, right? It was like, get Selena, right? <laughs> Save Selena, romance her up. That's the goal, right? That's the that's Mario's princess. Like, I don't care about nothing else in the game. Yeah. All my decisions are going to try to seduce Selena. That was, that was my goal. And I don't know what episode it finally happens in, but it was just like, I couldn't download the episodes fast enough. <laughs> yeah, you found your investment, yeah. Part of my work prior to, you know, and this, this is why I think like, you know, investing in yourself and investing in the problems that you want to solve are important because like I grew up watching Batman, the animated series. I remember- Still money to this day, man. The bus would drop me off. My friends would want to hang out and like be at the park or let's go play ball or do something. And I'd just be like, nope, I got to be home because it starts at 4.30. 4.30. You know, I know I got to get home and be like, dun, 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 dun. Like, I know oh, what I'm doing. Right? So good. So I had this love for Batman. Absolutely. That when they asked me as like the creative assistant, the producer to set up the writer's room, I was the third person on the project overall, like when they started staffing for it. It was the the executive producer, the creative director, and me. And then we started building out the staff and who's writing it and who's directing it. What an opportunity, man. And so like being from the ground floor, they were like, hey, we're going to build the writer's room and you're going to create that space. So we put off an office in the corner of the Telltale building. And for two weeks, Warner Brothers, DC, some TV writers, and like our designers and staff were going to be in that room and breaking the story. Like we're going to have, what does DC want out of it? What does Warner Brothers want out of it? Who are the characters that we can use? So, you know, when I started, you know, creating that room, I started thinking about like, well, what's a place that's going to give us like motivation? Like, what do we need? Right. So Mm -hmm. I 
on our Telltale budget, which was also still very shoestring, I printed out like all the wanted posters for all the major characters and I put them up around the room. I was like characters for like inspiration. I brought in a whole bunch of Batman comics and posters and put them up like all over to get people really feeling like they were in Gotham. You set that up. And I set up the room, right? Like we had like little stress balls and cushies and like notepads and just to create that creative space because that is what you need. Because part of the writer's room is, is a moment where you need everyone to collaborate, participate and see what sticks on the wall. You know, it's like throwing spaghetti and something's going to stick on the wall, like one or two of those noodles. And you just kind of follow that noodle. But in order to do that, you have to let everyone participate. And so there's this really like cool exercise where everyone just says, what if this, what if that? Mm -hmm. And no one really disturbs you, but people feed off of what you're saying, right? Well, what if this? Well, then, you know, you can follow it down the line, but you you try not to shut people down so that you give an idea time to explore and build to something. That's special, Juan. I want to touch on that a little bit more because going back to safe, brave spaces, right? And places that let you really flex your creative muscles or just kind of go with the wind into creation right like the idea behind a lot of these games that ship are not created day one and they're not made they don't just live in one person's mind right it's a sculpture or you know to use a spaghetti reference right like it's a big melting pot of different ingredients and food yeah the sazon the sazon man to see what tastes good and you don't know until you put it together and 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 kind of figure out what it's missing and things like this so that's powerful man because i can't tell you that I've worked at a studio that has a, a place like this. Like as you describe it to me, it just seems like such an inviting place to be like, yo, I'm going to go in there and I, I have an idea, but I don't know what it's going to be. Let's go in there and brainstorm, right? Like a real creative war room. That sounds amazing. Yeah. It was really uh, inspiring time, you know, like, mm-hmm. and even to this day, like it's still one of my favorite moments in like, you know, my career as a game developer. And I'm still fascinated every day by the type of work that I get to do. And I just, I feel so lucky and fortunate that when you set yourself up for being like, this is the type of work that I want to do. These are the types of problems that I want to solve. It just won't feel like work. You know, I mean, there are days where it feels like work. (laughs) You know, (laughs) There are days for sure when you know that it's like going to take work, but that's why it's called work. That's why you you get paid, man. That's why they give you a paycheck for your time because though the majority of the time you feel like you would do it for free, there is those times where it's like, damn, you know, the team needs me. I got to wake up. I got to be there, right? Now, this is for all the real people that stuck around for the podcast, and that's how they get you, and that's how they (laughs) exploit you. And that's how they get you to sign up for a job in the Bay Area in 2013 for $38,000, where you're going into debt, paying more in your rent than you do getting in your paycheck. Granted, that's ridiculous for the Bay Area. I've been there. My first job in Austin, Texas, they offered me 36 k And me not knowing anything, me not knowing any better, right, was just like, I see that number and I'm, you know, I couldn't, I couldn't say yes fast enough, right? I was like, fuck yeah, 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 let's go, let's go, let's do it. And, she, and you know, lady, her name was Holly. She was telling me like, 
I'm gonna get. I'm gonna let you. You know, take the weekend. Think about it. Back to the point of I didn't know that I can ask for a flight, right? I didn't know that I can counter offer something, right? That I can do some research to be like, all right, what is it actually gonna take for me to like live? Yeah, ask ask people for the salary band when somebody mm, says, yes. "Yo, how, what's your what's your what would you what like to get you paid?" Nah, yeah. nah, nah. How much are you willing to pay? What is your budget? That's one hundred percent the right question. What's the range for the role, right? And to your point now, that's the the chess match, right? It's like, what were you making at the previous job? What are you expecting? And I try to not say any numbers for as long as possible, right? I use nebulous terms like, you know, I'm, I'm down for the market price for the area, cost of living and the seniority I have. You know what I'm saying? Like, mm. I'm not saying any numbers. You right. are going to come first with the number and then I know what you're trying to come with. right? And then I could be like, OK, I could work with that or it's uh, not what I was expecting. Right. Things like this. Yeah. That's a good point, man. I'm glad you brought that up, bro, because you're absolutely right. It's like, oh, shit, I get to do the thing I've been wanting to do my entire life or I think is what I want to do. I, I can make anything work, but it is a bit exploitative, especially when you're coming out fresh. Yeah, when we don't know any better, right? Because we don't have those game designers, primos or deals that can tell us, you know, like, <laughs> yo, let me get that, right? That's why we got to be each other's primos, man. Like, mm. you know, I, I throw around fam a lot, but like, that's, I like that's, I think, what we have. Dude, I love it. You worked at Telltale for a long time. I think you rolled them out to the bitter end. Almost, yeah. I, five and a half years. So my first project was Fables 101, but my first game that I shipped, because I went to the Walking Dead team afterwards, like within like a month of being there. So my very first game was Walking Dead, episode 106, 400 days. And then my last episode was Walking Dead season four, episode one. So there's like maybe like three or four people that like were there long enough to have and worked on all four seasons of The Walking Dead. I feel really lucky to have you know, been able to learn from such a legendary franchise and you know amazing teams along the way but like i can't do zombies no more <laughs> you're saturated bro that's yeah, it you no had more your despair belt. man yeah, i was gonna say five and a half years you ship more games than a good majority of the industry has in like two three times as much time yeah like every episode basically was its own production and release right and while i was there whether producer creative assistant or um, narrative designer came out to something like 21 or 22 episodes of like games of experience just launched ship titles that's impressive right you're in this sweet spot between like kind of mobile production cycles and like AAA production cycles right like you're on console you're going through all the things of a big ass production big ass team a lot of moving parts but you're iterating so fast right and like you're building off from the outside looking in, I always thought it was like a solid tool set to make that style of game over and over and over and over. One of the things about this industry is that it's so interactive, but it also it needs so much innovation to set yourself apart, to do it right, to, to try something. And 
you know, when you think about it, like the same way that Disney's reusing animations, the same way that Telltale is, you know, reusing animations as well. We are all trying to learn from what we previously built in order to build something new, faster, smoother, simpler. So as we work in innovation and games out trying to do one another with a new mechanic or a new animation or VFX or whatever its uniqueness is, Mm -hmm. that's something that's never been done before. And people are figuring it out every day or are working to try to figure that out. And I think that's one of the things that I love working about this industry is that we're always pushing something. Yep. And part of the sadness also about this that you won't see until you're a developer and you ship enough things is that there's always going to be something on the cutting room floor. What consumers and customers get at the finish line, that's not what like you have a glimpse into. You know, and so like you're always just like, oh, but this one scene would have made it better. Or, you know, they'll never know that this thing got cut and this other thing. But I think as a developer, you know, when you get to say like, yes, it's saddened that my magic trick, you know, didn't have that effect. But for a second, you know, you still got someone to believe, you know, Mm. you still had someone a chance to play and have fun. And I think. For me as a creative, like there's nothing more fulfilling than watching someone enjoy something that you make. Yeah, man. Like a chef, like a musician, like a writer. It is special. And, and I'm super appreciative this day and age where like day one, you can turn to Twitch, right? To see how people are consuming your thing and enjoying it or hating it or what have you, right? I think that's super special. What's one of the things that you're most proud of working on? It's an old one, but what was special about it was like as developers internally as as a design team we felt like oh this is good but we don't know what the public will feel right so it was that paradigm of like we're building cool content we got somewhat interesting gameplay it's in a different world that you know not a lot of games are in at the time this was what like 2010 this is what red dead redemption one for all intents and purposes the outside perspective was like you know, Grand Theft Auto on horse. And we knew it wasn't that. And we were kind of actively fighting to not be that, right? To differentiate, to set ourselves apart, to set this game apart. You know, Western, cowboy, and make you feel like you were in that world. You know, frontier, Mexico, things like this. And when that game came out, the biggest response came from adults like it was it was mostly kind of people in our same space right like we had a lot of dads and and family people coming back to us and being like yo this takes me back to spaghetti westerns back in the day right like some of these shows that i grew up watching and the music and the setting and the the tranquility which is very opposite or different of a vibe that you get when you're in gta right like gta is kind of like cops and robbers cause as much mayhem, try to get as much money. And Dread Dead, what it ended up being was kind of the antithesis of that, right? Like build your own story in frontier land of this character who was part of outlaw gang, but, you know, wanted to raise his family or whatever, right? Like, man, it's hitting close to home. (laughs) Yeah. How so? Where'd you grow up? So New York City is like stomping grounds, born and raised. And then uh, somehow found my way to the West Coast, right? And being like, oh, I like I like this pace. I don't know about you, but like 
my grandma grew up watching like i mean we only had two channels telemundo and univision yeah but like every time i see her she'd be like warn me about pandillas <laughs> you know and like always being like no te metas con esos and like just the general like you know because because those are the stories that she's hearing and like mm-hmm. she's exposed to because that's that's what saturated television is right like that's what we see you know, we laugh about it and, you know, we, mm. we, you know, they're like, yeah, yeah, we're going to stick away. But like, that's kind of what it is. Right. And so like growing up, you know, what the fables are and what the stories are that tell you like what not to do, but we don't mm. see those success stories of like game developers that got to work on Batman. Nobody's going to write a TV show about that. Nobody's going to write about the game developers that worked on Red Dead Redemption 2. So, you know, if you go back to like your little mocoso self back when you were like, you know, trying to trying to put on basketball jerseys that were too big. Yeah, bro. <laughs> I had those like yeah. neat long white t-shirts too. Yeah. Bro. You think you could tell little John Diaz that he'd be working on that horse game? Damn, Juan. You're taking one out of my book, bro. I love asking people that question. I have that conversation with my wife all the time, right? When I want to butter her up. I'd be like, oh, babe, man, if I can go back in time and tell little 10-year-old John Diaz <laughs> that he would end up with such a fine, educated, classy woman like yourself, whoo, he wouldn't even believe me, man. He would be giving me high fives. <laughs> I love that question. I would definitely honestly tell you that at the time I was probably playing like Zelda or some Final Fantasy or some Street Fighter game. and. Yeah. I think maybe GTA 3 was kind of a few years ahead of where I was, probably high school sometime. But I actually applied to Rockstar to be a tester when I was in high school or some shit, right? Because Rockstar New York was a thing. Dope. But for yeah, to your point, to be able to go back and be like, yo, you know this is what you're going to be end up working on? The thing you're doing every day playing after school? Because to your point, my mom loved me to fucking play games from the moment I got home to the end of the day. She loved that shit. Because it meant that I wasn't outside hanging out, you know, and getting into whatever. So she loved that, bro. She was like, yo, here's the game for the season or whatever. Like, go at it. You know, knock yourself out. And to think, there's no way, right? Like, what what do we know as a little mocosito, right? Like, that's not a job. You don't get paid to play games. How much time does it take to make this thing? How big are the teams, right? Like, you can't do that thing. Like... You're into math, you know, math is, yeah. has no part in games, right? Like, that's yeah, funny. It's, yeah, it's, and it's like, you know, all the games you play, you're building up that library of knowledge, right? Like, mm-hmm. I I didn't even have a Nintendo in like second grade, but I played Double Dragon. And the first thing I did when I got home was I wrote Double Dragon 2. You know, I was just like, I would do you this. Wrote I would do Double that. Dragon Two. I I wrote my own GDD at like seven years old. Since seven years old, you've been doing this. I've been wanting to make games my entire life, man. You would think a brawler, like, well, how much story do you need in a brawler, right? When you have the two brothers and that's, you know, good versus bad. And, you know, to your point, I liked math. And I don't know if they got these in New York, but they got these things called magnet schools where they put higher emphasis programs and like schools and like the worst, like the, the underprivileged areas sure. to kind of like 
create funding and you know boost things. And so I was in a magnet program that was computer science at my home school. You know, Damn, so like I was in the program where like they were bringing all the upper county kids and i was like still only like one of two latinos there right sure it's like and it's in our latino neighborhood right with my homies that i went to nicaragua's wedding from like we all went to the same school so like there really wasn't like that type of you know belief that you were going to grow into something wild or become a game developer Mm -hmm. Um, but i i built that knowledge and i just used what i know to survive and to keep you know building off of and growing and you just look at the patterns and you know games and films are alike and that's why my education is from a film school you know because it's all teaching you the beautiful art of storytelling using everything at your disposal animation music shots writing dialogue and that's kind of what has led me to you know really be this narrative designer of thinking of like all the possible ways to tell stories and being able to create things that hopefully can inspire you have some you know emotion and leave you with something so that you know when you're done with it like Mm -hmm. it affected you absolutely and you you caused people to go off and run and write a sequel, right? Or draw a, f- a sibling character, right? Or or something like that. Or create a, a parallel universe, right? Yeah, man. So mm. I'm, I'm so happy to see our paths connect. And I'm really excited to see how we have an impact on all the people that we will continue to connect with, which now I can segue right into Conexion, which is going to be our next big Latinx and gaming event. You hear it here first. Conexion. When's that coming? It's going to be June 25th and 26th, a virtual career fair. We're going to try to get some game companies to come down and connect with us. We're going to prepare people with resume workshops, portfolio reviews, so that they can be and present the best version of themselves directly to those recruiters so we can have those one-on-one conversations and not only show you that we belong here, we are here, but we will continue to be here. Hey, man, it's, we can, there's so much more to touch on. So I'll have to bring you back and, and do some more of this. Yeah, man. I love the chatting. Thank you so much. This feels like the exact type of community and space that we're trying to create and find with each other. Bless, bless. So before you go, two things. Where do people go to see what you're up to, stay in touch, connect? I'm not a social media person. You won't find me on Facebook. So if you see a Juan Vaca on Facebook, it's not me. Stop like I told my aunt, like that is not me. She's trying to hunt me down, man. Or Facebook. I, yeah, or Facebook. I land in D.C. and she goes, so tell us about this. And she just like, you know, it's like, boom. Like, what, like, a, like on the phone? Like like a picture, like somebody's Facebook profile. And it's like a fuzzy picture from like a dude from far away. And yeah, he's yeah. like with a woman and like two kids. And she's like, I know it's you. And I was just, and I'm laughing. Like, <laughs> oh, <laughs> you ain't catching and I was me. just like, I was just like, do you see the tattoos on his arms? And she's like, no. And I was just like, do you see the ones on mine? And she was just like, ah, oh. right. you know, and it's funny because she's the one that hated my tattoos my like my entire life. So they saved, saved me. You. Saved yeah. you. There you go. I always find that like identifying tattoos are a risk, but in this case, it was essential. 
I'm on Twitter. So if, if you want to see pictures of my dog every Tuesday and yeah. just see like some stupid shit that I tweet or want to keep up with Latinos and gaming and you know, what, what we're trying to do and who we're trying to boost, you know, hit me up on there. Juan cow. Cause I'm Juan Vaca. And then um, if you have like real, like legit, like professional or any kind of questions, like hit me up on LinkedIn. If you don't have a LinkedIn account, there's your first goal. Like you should have one because that's how I got my job. Like I didn't even interview. They found me. Yo, me too, man. A lot of my opportunities come on the string for LinkedIn. So plus a thousand on that. So if you uh, if you hit me up on LinkedIn, I accept everybody. Hit me up. Tell me you heard on this conversation. And, you know, we can have a chat and figure out how to get you to cross that finish line on target. Oh man, free mentorship right there. Last one, before you go, I got two more, two more. Okay, two more, two more. Uh, two more, two more. For anybody looking to level up their writing chops or their narrative design, what resources or talks or videos or anything would you recommend? Oh man, that cannot be answered in one question, my, my friend. I would say, I don't even know what they're called, but there's like this like YouTube channel that I think shows you the screenplay and the video at the same time. I would say watch a lot of those because a lot of what you can learn is from reverse engineering, how people are using dialogue, how people are using cutscenes, like what are they actually saying in their writing that really, how does it come across and convey like on screen, right? Because the story that I'm telling you is orally, right? But you will process it visually. But before Mm -hmm. that, someone needs to do all the planning and that has to get written down. So there's this like triangle of knowledge that applies to all our senses and how we use what we're speaking to how we're writing to how we see it that i think if you want to hone those skills you should see how they work perfectly and look for the patterns and reverse engineer that because there's going to be like i said different books that tell you how to write if you want to be a romance writer and make romance games that's like one thing that you can approach as an avenue and invest in learning the tropes, learning in what makes that work, right? But I I don't think there's like a book that I could say, you know, this is how to be a romance writer. It's something that you just are naturally curious and you will invest in and find those things. Definitely take classes like when you can, you know, like creative writing if you're in school, English classes. I wish I had paid more attention when I was in high school because not grammar, but like, you know, like, but like themes, you know, Mm. literature and, you know, what is the author trying to tell you in this, right? Like, like that level of deep critical thinking, because nothing in a story or a movie or a game happens by accident. Mm. Everything there has to serve a purpose. So you need to know why it's there and how it all plays into the bigger picture. I'll take that and run with it, man. I, I really like the reverse engineering part, like film with the screenplay side by side. That's a, that's a gem for sure. Uh, last one is okay. this is where the hardest part of the show is, right? And this is where you get to, if you had a good time falling out of play and, and telling your story, and even inviting me to get in this, damn, that was that was fun. Is is there anyone you would like to nominate to fall out of play in the next? Oh yeah, 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 yeah. I got you. And I already told her, and I was like, "Yep, you're you're done." So uh, I'm calling out. I'm calling <laughs> out my sis, uh, Yesenia Cisneros. 
who is an amazing producer over at Microsoft. She's got Minecraft, Pokemon under her belt. Maybe you heard of those things. Dude, like Pokemon Go? Like, or like Nintendo, Redmond Pokemon? Like, I can let you ask her yourself when she comes on your show. So, yeah, yeah I already yeah. hit up my sis. We got you, homie. Okay. Jesenia, be on the lookout. Cisneros, that's it. Shout out to all the other Ecuadorians out there because there ain't a lot of us. But because of Latinx and gaming, I now know at least four. Yo, that's huge. That's huge, yeah. man. I, 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 got, I got one or two Dominican developers hitting me up like, yo, there's not a lot of us. But palante, palante. We're here. Juan, brother. Yo, have yourself a great rest of your evening. Thank you for your time. I tried my best to not go over, but thank you for the overtime. Don't about it. Yeah. We, we'll see each other soon in the industry when everything reconvenes, and we'll do this uh, proper trago right. Yeah, brother. Hell yeah. Salud, Salud. man. Salud. Good one, bro. Cuídate. If you are looking to network, take advantage of Juan's invitation to connect on LinkedIn. I'm serious when I say every single one of my jobs has come as a result of LinkedIn after I ship my first title, Black Side 51, for Midway. I always encourage people to keep their LinkedIn as up-to-date as they do their graphics drivers or shoes and sneakers if you're more fashion-minded. I've never heard of someone jumping in their car and driving like 16 hours from LA to San Francisco to take an interview. I thought it was fair knowledge that, you know, you hang out and wait for an airplane ticket from a recruiter, but it's that resiliency that he has and probably developed as a Marine that would constantly show up in his career, right? And has probably easily propelled them to where he is today. Like when he went up to Dan Connors and reminded him that he had applied but got rejected or having to reapply for USC. The lesson there is easy. Be resilient, my devs, and you will go far in this industry. Man, I miss Telltale. What's your favorite game? Did y'all play Batman? If you're a Batman fan, it's an easy recommendation for me. I'll be glad to shoot you a code if you reach out and leave a review and email me a screenshot or add it at the podcast. Also, if you're looking for work, sign up for Conexion, the Latinx and gaming virtual career fair going on June 25th to the 26th for expert advice and guidance on your resume, portfolio interviewing and more. I'll leave links to all of that in the show notes. On episode 10, for those of you that listened to this far in the show, it's going to be a big milestone episode. I get to commemorate hitting double digits and getting over that mythical nine episode podcast hump. I'll be celebrating it with none other than my best man at my wedding, Danny Bulla. And we'll walk through his career starting at Midway Austin to Rockstar San Diego on to Bungie, and now as co-founder and design director of Polyarch Games here in Seattle, the makers of Moss. I'll also be commemorating the episode by debuting our new intro song by a special someone. Not only that, but one of the lucky listeners may win a free game download code. More instructions for that in that episode. It's just me doing the show with the support of my partner in life, Catherine, and the guests who take time to come onto the show. 
but I still want to do what I can to make episode 10 a milestone for out of play area and to many, many more. Thank you so much for listening. If you found it enlightening and enjoyed the show, I'd really appreciate your support in following the podcast. If you listen on Spotify, leaving a review, if you listen on Apple podcast or telling or sending a link to a fellow developer about the show, every bit helps get this out there and raise awareness. I'm always curious where you found out about the show. So I know which outlets to keep putting posts on. If you have any thoughts, comments, questions, or concerns for me or a guest, you can find all the ways to get in touch on our website at outofplayarea.com. There is where you can book my calendar to meet up and discuss coming on and getting interviewed as a guest. Please make sure you get approval from your studio PR or HR team beforehand. Out of Play Area releases new episodes every other Monday on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and all the major players. Please make sure to follow us so that you see what developer falls out of play area next time. As always, I'm your host, John Diaz. Till next time, devs, stay strong, stay true, stay dangerous. We out!